0: Really, for me, the breakthrough was giving myself permission to really be myself and advocate for what I think is the is the right thing and make make space for that and like very openly defend that, not be apologetic for um, for speaking uh, what I believe is uh, is the right thing to
1: do. Welcome to the Super Managers Podcast, where we interview leaders from all walks of life to tease out the habits, thought patterns, learnings, and experiences that help them be extraordinary at the fine craft of management. Our goal is to bring you the lessons and the insights so that you don't have to learn through your own mistakes, but so that you can shortcut your way to being a great leader. This podcast is brought to you by Fellow, a software platform that helps managers and their teams work better together. Check it out at www.fellow.com fellow.app hey fellow managers and leaders i'm aiden and i'm the ceo of fellow.app today i'm really excited to bring to you a conversation i had with vlad magdalen the ceo of webflow webflow is a software company empowering people to create websites without the need to code and vlad is a vocal proponent of the no code movement Webflow has raised over $72 million in financing and has over 200 employees distributed globally at the time of this recording. In this episode, Vlad and I go into detail talking about some of the founding philosophies of Webflow and the surprising rationale behind Webflow's dual mission. I personally really enjoyed this part of the interview, and I think you might walk away from it wanting to advocate for a dual mission for your company as well. Having been a hybrid and mostly remote company from the get-go, I thought it was great to learn from Vlad and hear his tips on how to make the hybrid remote model work, something that a lot of us are thinking about right now. In our chat, Vlad also shares his playbook to run effective and inclusive company-wide meetings, which I thought contained great tactical insight. There's so much good content in this interview, and I think you'll also enjoy hearing about the biggest dilemma that Vlad faced as he scaled the team from a few people to hundreds. Vlad is an entrepreneur and an inspiring leader. I'm really excited to share this episode with you. So without further ado, here's Vlad Magdalene on another episode of the Supermanagers podcast. Vlad, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Aiden, good to be here.
1: I know we were supposed to do this in, uh, in person, actually, a few months ago, but I guess the dominant mode the world now has is... has changed. Yeah, the world has drastically changed uh, in the last little while. So we, we obviously are in different locations, and uh, you are um, obviously in California, uh, three hours time difference. I know we're recording this at 7.30 a.m. your time. Uh, that's really early for me. Uh, I have to ask you, what time? Like, what does your day actually look like? What time do you get up and and start doing things?
0: Uh, well, I was never, I was never like an early riser. I hated uh, getting up early in the morning, but just out of necessity, because our office is in San Francisco and I live in South Bay, which is about an hour uh, drive in traffic. Um, I started waking up around five. Um, Probably four years ago, just out of necessity, right to be trafficked, so uh, I could be on the road for thirty minutes instead of an hour or sometimes an hour and a half, um, and then just kind of got used to it. So um, like I would naturally wake up around five. Um, now with with Covid and with my kids being in school and um, no commute happening, um, it's it's kind of been awesome, in that my body's kind of used to that. Uh, so I get up around that time anyway, and just have time to catch up and, um, get, uh, get some work in before the rest of the world wakes up. Uh, but I'm not, I don't have a structured, you know, some people say they have like this super structured, you know, you get up, you meditate, you do a workout, you go for a jog, uh, you read like 17 business books and whatever. Uh, it's just at this point, I kind of give myself permission to to go with the flow. Um, and and not really have anything structured. I used to have something called, um, uh, I called it MIT time, most important task time. And I still roughly follow that, that guidance of like in the morning uh, when there are no other pressing things. I just work on the thing that's hardest for me um, and, and the thing that requires the most sort of mental bandwidth. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not the set in stone thing. I don't feel bad when I skip it or I get into some urgent things. Um, but I also go to bed early. Uh, my kids make fun of me. Um, I'm, you know, there've been times where I'm like, it's 9 PM and I'm heading to bed. <laughs> uh, although usually it's around 10.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, makes sense. So I, you know, there's so much that I want to want to talk to you about again, like Webflow, the company fascinates me and, and a lot of your background. I know that you basically uh, started out obviously just in freelance. Um, you know doing a lot of work for for other folks and companies before you actually started webflow i'm curious when was the first time that you personally started to manage or lead a team was it at webflow or was it somewhere else uh it was at webflow it was actually
0: several years so i started webflow four different times um th- it was like this last fourth time that actually stuck um and i think it was probably at least a year after we launched that we started hiring people. Um, and that's kind of where my management journey began. But it was like initially it wasn't, I didn't even think of it as management. It was sort of like bring in another developer and we just work together to build this thing. Um, I think earnestly um, when I started to think of myself as a manager was probably Three years into Webflow, when it was like this whole dilemma started, it's like, do I keep coding? Do I, you know, start growing and scaling the team? Um, so it was definitely, this is my one and only management journey.
1: Um, so I have to ask you, I mean, what would you say was like your sort of biggest realization? Was it that pivot point of, you know, deciding whether you should continue to code or, or to stop to code?
0: Uh, it was when multiple team members that, I cared about and then you cared about me told me hey you're actually you might be hurting the team um, by not spending more time uh, in you know like fostering people's careers and looking at um, improving communication as a team and like you know classical sort of management tasks versus uh, individual contribution like technical coding things that i've you know felt a lot of pride uh and actually i identified you know a lot of my identity was wrapped up in that like my worth to the company is in the code that i write uh and like this this application that i created uh but when multiple people said like hey when you go heads down into like coding for a week uh but then all this other stuff falls apart like you know how we're hiring how um just other company building things start to fall apart or or people aren't aware, like they're not reminded of the Webflow's mission uh, Webflow's mission, because, you know, I'm heads down coding um, The you know, we're not running team meetings uh, because, you know, I'm busy writing code. Uh, that's when I knew that I wasn't serving my team well, um, you know, uh, where I was reverting to the easy, to things that I was uh, comfortable with uh, and kind of avoiding the, the things I found a lot harder.
1: Um, yeah. So you know, it's interesting because because a lot of this is, I mean, very much uh most folks, I mean almost all folks, start out as uh individual contributors and and then they move into the, the to this management role. And I think uh for a lot of people, I think uh, you know, in history we have learned that we have uh, decided to look at it as a promotion, but in fact it is a complete change of job function. So it's it's not it's a
0: yeah, it's it's one of those things where We've had some, um, you know, I've had some friends, we've had some people, people at Webflow who sort of, before we had very clear tracks that, that uh, equally reward individual contributors and and managers, um, or at least people can feel that uh, their individual contribution uh, track is not capped by this, you know, requirement to manage people. Um, we We had a lot of people think that, oh, this is, this is for me, and then try to actually try it out and figure out um, kind of come to the realization that it's a completely different skill. It's a completely different set of motivations. It's a completely different. um, It's a, it's a whole other, it's an order of magnitude difference I would say in in like emotional load uh, and what you have to care about. Um, So it's, you know, it's, I I can't think of two more different um, uh, kind of skills than engineering and like engineering management, for example, there's, there's just so, um,
1: and so I'm curious at, at the company, uh, have have you had people that, like you said, like tried something out and said, actually, no, I, I do want to go back to where I was. Um, and, and so that, that's an encouraged thing. And, and you guys have fostered a culture where that's not deemed to be a failure. No, I mean, that's, that's
0: actually, um, we have two missions at Webflow. One is uh, kind of what, what is not surprising to a lot of people. It's to empower people to build software without having
1: to write code. Um,
0: the big no-code
1: movement. I mean, definitely it, when I think no-code, I imagine your face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're very vocal you. on Twitter right. in this movement. I
0: should, I should get like a tattoo. Um, but the other one is to build a kind of company where each individual team member can uh, lead a fulfilling and impactful life, whatever that means to them. Uh, and that's a much harder one. Right. Um, and for, for someone to have to feel a sense of impact, you know, they're making a difference. They're bringing value to the team members, to the world, to our customers um, and a self sense of fulfillment. Like I'm actually fulfilled by, by the work that I'm doing uh, or by, um, you know, what I'm bringing to other people. That's that's an ever changing and shifting uh, landscape. Right. We have people who are. Um, Our managers that then decide not only to go back to individual contribution work, but go to individual contribution work in a totally different discipline, Um, which is, um, you know, a a kind of a hard thing to manage. But we have to have that conversation and try to make as much space as possible for those kinds of things. Um, But we we take a long term perspective on people. Uh, where we want to make sure that it's not just like, okay, here's what the organization needs. Here's like this very tightly defined role description um, and, you know, stay in your lane. Uh, We want to make sure that that people have um, the ability to identify what's important to them and work towards that.
1: Yeah, there's a lot, I, I think, there uh, t- to unpack. I mean, just the concept, and and I want to emphasize this, the concept of, like, every company obviously has this mission. Yours is to drive this no-code movement. Um, but then the con- even just, like, the notion of having a separate mission, uh, which is to help people live impactful lives— where does that even come from? Like, how did you get the idea to have like a dual mission in that way? Because that's certainly unique and, and not something that you see in, in most companies.
0: I think we saw, um, so a couple companies have done that, that we were inspired by um, Patreon, I think is one of them. Um, and honestly, it was a selfish thing. Uh, you know, I want the kind of company where I feel fulfillment and impact, right? I don't want to have to leave this company. Um, if I still care about the mission, if for some reason in the future, I want to focus on something different than, than being CEO, for example. Um, I want to work at a company where uh, people are there, not just to, you know, make a paycheck, which is totally fine. If that's, you you know, your main motivation. Um, But I want to, I want to make sure people feel a sense of um, belonging and fulfillment um, that that just makes, I mean, there's sort of like the business perspective on that. It makes the work better, right? It makes our, um, uh, when people are motivated and really inspired and um, and feel heard and they feel understood and they feel like the the rest of the team cares about them and um, uh, about their needs, et cetera, they're just going to do better work. But that's not the, you know, that wasn't the main motivator. It was, um you know, what, what feels like the right thing? Like I want to spend the next 50 years of my life, right. Uh, Not um, primarily being motivated by uh, making a ton of money or like having some public company um, or being on some like top 50 list or whatever. Um, I want to look back on 50 years of, you know, building Webflow and say, Hey, I worked with amazing people who all cared about each other and cared about each other's, um, you know, individual motivations and, and perspectives. Uh, that's that's a lot more meaningful to me, right? Like knowing that um, uh, the team that built like I I would rather switch the mission of the company to something that's completely not no code related and keep the uh, the second part of it um, because a team that's like really really cohesive um, and ultimately cares hopefully cares more about other people than themselves, um, is can operate in almost any environment, right? And do great work and um and achieve anything that they put their minds to. Um and th- I guess that's the area where I don't want to fail. I don't want to be known for um for creating a company where it was just about the business result. Um it's so just about some financial outcome or just about some, you know, um dent in the universe or whatever, I'd rather, uh, I'd rather have a people first perspective. And yeah. That's, that's why we wanted to enshrine that as a kind of uh, on the same level as our, like as our first mission.
1: Yeah. And and so that's interesting. And you kind of hinted at this, uh, you know, this concept of, you know, people may get into the management role and then go back or they maybe completely switch, uh, the roles at the company. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, that's one way it seems that you're, Saying that no, you're you're part of this team, and we're going to help you like fi- you know fulfill, uh, get fulfillment out of the work that you do. What other things do you do to, uh, I guess, live in accordance with that mission?
0: Uh, so, by the way, caveat on that first part is that it's not always possible, right? Like, uh, you know, we try to make as much room as uh, as possible for those kinds of like shifts, but sometimes it requires a lot of work uh, on the part of the individual to like go learn that new skill while. While performing their, um, you know, the job that they signed up for, um, uh, but in terms of other things that we do to um, live up to our second mission, that's honestly the the hardest one to uh, to consistently uh, live up to because it's it's the one that can have the most meaning, uh, the most divergent meaning to the most people, right? So for someone, fulfillment might be. Um, you know, teaching uh, teaching people how to enter the tech industry, right? That requires a ton of time. That uh, you know, it's hard to find emotional energy uh, outside of their you know normal day job. So we try to uh, work in programs that give permission for people to explore things that are important to them. Uh, for example, we have this this program called Ten Percent Time, where uh, up to four hours a week. Uh, people are encouraged to um, spend however they want to better themselves uh, or better our our product or a company, uh, but really it doesn't have to be related to to their day job. Um, one challenge with that, though, is that it it almost always feels like not 10% time, but 110% time, right? Uh, so we have to like keep encouraging uh, people to take that time and defend that time and managers to encourage their uh, reports to to remember about that time and, and, and really keep it uh, protected. Um, we're right now experimenting with um, like having the entire team like take that time at the same time. So having like a build week or, uh, you know, self-improvement week uh, later in August Uh, where it's, uh, you know, work on things that really matter to you, work on things that, um, you know, promote your beliefs and your principles. You know, some people might be working, like right now, I already know, uh, some people are preparing to work on anti-racism initiatives. Um, uh, Some people are, uh, you know, excited about working on some product improvements. Some people are excited about building some new, Product prototype that they you know that might not be related to webflow at all, but is somehow tangential uh, to to our mission. Um, there's things like that. There's also practical things, right? Just the way that we uh, create our benefit programs, the way that we create our paid time off policies, the way that we uh, treat um, treat employees across different disciplines. So, for example, a lot of companies have a standard practice of you know we're going to have a set benchmark for how we pay engineers uh, and we're gonna have a different benchmark for like lower tiers um, uh, of uh, of labor and they'll say we target you know 75th percentile for engineering roles because those are competitive but we're gonna uh, target a much lower uh, Percentile for pay for other roles like non-tech roles. Uh, we take a perspective that uh, when we uh, when we figure out our compensation programs uh, we Treat all of our um, roles the same, right? Uh, when when we design our um, the the way that uh, we talk about remote versus non remote versus uh, in office versus executive versus non executive, like the, all of our programs are designed uh, to be, you know, to treat everyone fairly, uh, whether they're um, you know an executive or an individual contributor or an apprentice. Uh, where we don't have, you know, special privileges for executives. We don't have uh, special rules for, you know, uh, based on seniority. We don't have um, things that kind of elevate other people uh, over others just because of, you know, historical...
1: um, So so nothing like you're, you know, senior director and above. When you travel overseas, you get to go first class, but nobody else does. Nope, nothing like that. (laughs) That's a real thing, folks, by the way. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I understand, I understand why those policies exist. uh, But, you know, uh, we, we try to shy away from them.
1: Got it. Um, So you mentioned uh, remote, obviously, this is, uh, this is all the rage uh, today. Uh, And what's interesting is, you know, you you guys have been, um, I think, is it 70% remote? Is that correct? Like, would you classify
0: between 70 and 80, something like
1: that? Yeah. And would you so would you class, you know, I would classify that as hybrid, like definitely Mm -hmm. leaning towards remote. But there's this whole view now where, you know, certainly I've been, uh, you know, watching a lot of companies um, say it's optional for you to go back to uh, work and go back to an office and creating some flexibility there. Uh, and, uh, you have, you know, I think, uh, there was a tw- Twitter thread, uh, from the CEO of GitLab who was talking about, well, actually hybrid doesn't really work that well. And a lot of these companies will realize that they'll have to go all remote or, you know, go back to the office. I mean, but you guys have been doing hybrid for, for a long time. Yeah. What are your thoughts
0: on that? Like, can hybrid work? I mean, maybe it's survivorship bias, but it's working for us. Um, I, there's a, I mean, in some ways we, we have to have an office because of the, the quality that we want, uh, in certain parts of our, um, offerings. Like for example, our education team has a studio, um, and it's really important that we have a physical space to, to record all those videos. Um, and it's not really possible to do at one person's home, right? It's not just like, uh, one person on camera, etc cetera. Um, that's just one example, but we have, a, a lot of folks that that just enjoy the you know the um i wouldn't even say collaboration just like the human life overlap that uh, that you might have uh, when you cross paths in in an office uh and we like doing a lot of team offsites um in our office or somewhere together um you know at, a, at another location um like seeing each other face to face is just It's it's one of those things that I think a lot of humans crave. So there's there's no way that you can, I would want to run a fully remote company without some sort of, uh, you know, occasional in-person presence, whether that's a retreat or, you know, quarterly offsites or um, things like that. Um, but for us having an office is something that, um, you know, it, right now it's a lot more questionable because of COVID and, you know, we have an office sitting there and nobody's in it, uh, while, while we still have to keep paying for it, which is kind of, uh, obviously annoying and, um, not something anybody really planned for. Um, but I don't, I just don't see see it as like this big deal breaker that if you have an office, like your company is uh, doomed for failure. One thing you, I, I do agree on is that you have to treat everything as a remote first type of um, uh, practice. So for example, when we do our weekly calls with the entire team, um, everyone dials in, this was even before COVID, everyone dials in from their own computer, right? Everyone has the same experience uh, as everyone else. So you don't have like this, you know, of the company on zoom screens and then one big room with a camera where you hear like laughter among people because you can you know, hear hear jokes and uh, kind of can kind of track eye movements because you're in person and uh, that that does have this feeling of like sort of othering if you're on the other side Um, and We've been really intentional about that like the the way that we create our the way our teams collaborate, it's more like document and uh, like long form writing um, uh, focus, where you can share information asynchronously. Uh, I mean, you you do end up having uh, quite a few meetings to you know to spend um, like Facetime and and get on the same page. Uh, so there is some benefit to having like closer time zone um, overlap rather than like huge time zone gaps, which which does make collaboration quite a bit harder. Um, but you know, for us, it's been it's been a um, a pretty a huge benefit to um, have this kind of like split or hybrid model. Um, th- there are, of course, drawbacks still, just like there are drawbacks with with all remote um, and all in office.
1: So, um, so, so to, I guess like, uh, so the rule is that if you have a meeting and some of those people are not in the office, you are not allowed to have, um, three of those, let's say it's like a five person team. You're not allowed to have three people, uh, in the office, in a meeting room. They also have to dial in to, to make it equal for the other two.
0: So we, we haven't made it that hard line of a rule except for all team meetings, So when we have a a large team meeting, everyone's required to be in their um, um, kind of individual screen or whatever. Uh, For much smaller meetings where you might have like two people in a meeting room in San Francisco and like two people remote or like one person remote, uh, just due to space constraints, we still had some meetings where, you know, we just don't have enough spaces where without disrupting everyone else in an open office, uh, to be able to like dial in without like noise issues. Um, but in like small environments like that, that's that's kind of um, a lot more, you kind of, you don't have some of the same dynamics of like a large room of 30 people, uh, plus, you know, 100 people on Zoom, uh, where you have like this dynamic of, okay, the 30 people are having a drastically different experience than the 100, right? Uh, so we don't have like a hard line rule that you always have to dial in from your video. So we still have, um, uh, some video conferencing kind of setups and some small meeting rooms and things like that, um, uh, but for the most part, when um, when we have large team meetings, everyone is kind of on their own screen.
1: Got it. Uh, so let's talk about. This. So uh, how big is the team now? Uh, I think it's a little over. It's it's
0: approaching two hundred, so it's in the like the one eighty range.
1: Cool. And so when do you do? And and you guys, I mean, it seems to be a big part part of your culture, just uh, having uh, these, uh, company-wide meetings and, and all hands, how often do you do them?
0: Uh, we do them weekly. Uh, we call them Webflow weekly, uh, or all team. We used to call them all hands. Uh, but we got a lot of feedback that, uh, it's, um, it's kind of an ableist, uh, term.
1: Oh, wow. Interesting. Uh,
0: yeah. So something that we've started to walk away from. Um, uh, but we have them, we've been having them weekly for probably the last four years. Uh, and it's a good cadence. So it's sort of paired with, uh, I also send out weekly uh, kind of CEO updates that are paired with those uh, weekly meetings. But
1: um, so, how does that work? What happens in, in, in one of these meetings? And uh, do you present at all of them, or is it different people? Um, is it more AMA style?
0: Uh, so the the structure now it's it's just shifted and evolved over time as we see what works, what doesn't. Uh, the structure is usually uh, we introduce new team members, uh, we celebrate uh, promotions, uh, we celebrate anniversaries so um, so people who have been with the company a certain number of years. Um, then it's a whole, you know open uh, kind of Block of either like marketing updates or financial updates or things that are uh, you know top of mind or you know news of the day like when when COVID was happening our kind of response plan going over um, uh, how how we're responding like programs that we're uh, initiating so that's there's kind of a big block open for things that truly matter right now whether it's uh, you know business planning or or whatever. Um, then the, the announcements of various kinds that, that we believe are appropriate for the entire company. And then we have questions that come in. Um, uh, they have to be asked ahead of time. So we have uh, the ability to ask questions, whether it's like with a name attached or completely anonymously, and we cover those questions. And then we, do, we have a section called props, which uh, we kind of um, just share gratitude for, for various things of various people uh, that happened during that week. Um, so it's, it's largely kind of that structure where that middle, uh, thing can pr- be anything. Like sometimes we have, um, a, uh, deep dive on a product that we ship. Sometimes we have a deep dive on, you know, our marketing strategy. Sometimes we have, um, you know, a team presenting on, like we recently had our design team present on a, uh, maker day that they did of like what they, what they created and the the major outcomes that they came out of that day. So it could really be anything, but that's the general structure.
1: And and so you said that you pair this with uh, a CEO update. What do you typically communicate in that versus what is uh, what is what what gets talked about at these all hands or all teams?
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the the weekly emails that I sent are kind of all over the place. Like you know, in times of crisis, they they're more like letter format. You know, when we're going through COVID and. Um, now, with uh, a lot of conversations about um, uh, racial justice and um, a lot of kind of the national conversation we're having, um, it it could either be really focused on on one of those topics uh, or when it's you know more um, times of normalcy, I would say, although I don't know if that's a thing anymore. Uh, there's kind of a, a breakdown of similar things like things that are top of mind that that um i've been thinking a lot about um things that you shouldn't miss like you know things that are coming up this week or or the next week that are really important because even the all team meetings you know we have people across i don't know uh something like 16 time zones now where when we actually do this meeting at 10 a.m. Pacific time, uh, there are a lot of people in, for example, Southeast Asia, that can't uh, call in or in Australia or New Zealand, that can't call in um, and they have to watch it on, on video or whatever. So, so the, the weekly email is another way to reinforce some of the announcements. Um, then we also cover kind of how the company is performing, just like key metrics, um, you know, how much cash we have in the bank, uh, things like that. Um, and, Kind of team member milestones, same thing, promotions, uh, new people joining. Just to remind folks, uh, uh, team members that they, they, they can reach out to and congratulate, and etc. Um, and there's always a um, some sort of call for feedback. That's one of my ways that I get uh, a lot of uh, engagement from everyone in the company. Just to you know, either uh, kind of discuss things that I that I talked about over that email. And by the way, this email goes out to not just our our company, but also to like key partners, investors, uh, you know, my personal coach, some like the the kind of the support network, uh, of people that care about Webflow's mission. So, um, everyone's kind of informed on the same thing. Um,
1: and it keeps that cadence going. Got it. Um, Speaking of uh, Webflow's uh, mission and also, um, you know, diving a little bit into some of the cultural aspects and and some of the values that uh, you have set. I I mean, there's uh, all of them sound really interesting and I would love to dive into um, a bunch of them. I think you call them actually core behaviors. I'm curious to Mm -hmm. know if that's different than core values um but also I wanted to dive into one of them uh which is move uncomfortably fast. <laughs> uh what does okay. that mean? <laughs> so
0: they are different than core values because you could say you value something, right? Uh but how how you actually act really proves um that that you value that thing, right? Um so we we look more on how people actually behave uh, and that's what we want to celebrate and reinforce uh give feedback on um so that was an intentional um kind of not just nomenclature like that was an intentional um act of saying like hey we we actually care a lot less about what you say we care a lot more about what you do uh, move uncomfortably fast this is kind of a funny one because we just renamed it. Uh, oh, did you? And yeah. Um, so that was one of the most controversial ones, but it was rooted in when Webflow was first getting started this last iteration, we we were part of uh, Y Combinator, which is a tech accelerator. And the three founders, me, uh, Brian, Sergi, we were very hesitant to launch sooner because we thought we needed, you know, a CMS because we thought nobody would, would pay for Webflow when it was such as limited product. We thought we needed, you know, when Webflow first launched and we started charging, we didn't even have the ability to create a second page, right? You can only create a landing. You couldn't even create like an about us page. You couldn't create a form to take a, you know, uh, a contact us type of submission. So it was very, very limited. And our that intuition- That is pretty
1: limited. That's crazy.
0: Right. And our intuition was like, who would possibly pay for that? Right. And we would, no way we would start charging people uh, until we have, you know, multiple pages and all this, all these components that you can build with and a content management system. Cause that's when you have, you know, that's when we can compete with WordPress. Uh, but one of the partners at YC was like, you, you, if you guys don't launch in the next couple of weeks before demo day, uh, we're going to have a much harder conversation. Like you, you should not be part of this program if, if you're not going to take this process seriously. Like you have to launch and you have to charge. Um, and when we did, we were just surprised at, um, you know, we, we were very uncomfortable with, with pushing out and charging for what we actually had. We were deeply embarrassed by just the quality and what we uh, thought we needed to have but people started paying for it. Like, and people were like raving about the value that that provides for them. It wasn't everyone, uh, but a, 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 like a big enough chunk of users were, were very happy with what we had then and it made their lives easier, et cetera. So what that taught us was that uh, when like it was very uncomfortable to, to launch that product and it's what we felt was incomplete state, uh, but the value that we brought to the world was surprising, right? So that was the root of that core behavior of like, you, we have to move um, at a pace that might not feel comfortable for us. Like not everything is 100% buttoned up and polished. Um, but what we're actually doing by not moving that fast, by, by waiting until we're fully comfortable is actually stealing value uh, from people who could benefit from it uh, sooner. Um, and that's what it was rooted in. The reason we renamed it recently is because um, it, was, it was being used as a, um, I don't want to say as a weapon, but sometimes it was like, you know, uh, we would have like a a super buggy uh, feature that we're about to ship, right? And people just say like, just ship it uncomfortably fast, right? But then that put the uncomfort, the discomfort uh, into the hands of our users, right? Uh, And that was like the opposite of what we wanted, right? Because another one of our core behaviors is is starting with our customers. Uh, So we actually renamed it to move intentionally fast. Uh, So it still has this um, concept of, moving fast, but being really intentional about what we consider, uh, in, in that speed, right? So it's not just, uh, for the sake of speed and, and constantly being uncomfortable. Um, it's, it's really putting a lot of thought into, um, uh, what will bring value and what will bring value in the fastest possible way that, um, that balances these two things of balances sort of perfection and speed. Um, and, and I think that has, uh, that has resonated really well, uh, so far. It's a
1: relatively recent change. Like I'm probably in the last month or so. I'm, I feel privileged to know about it so early. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. I have to just uh, tack on a question to that, which is. Do you feel? I mean, you know, you're at a different scale today. I mean, not not just like from a people perspective, but just like the the amount of people in the world that get impacted by the work that you do. Because obviously, you know, people are creating web products. They're they're you can now build software type workflows with Webflow. So, uh, and and all the people who get to see that. So this is a, I mean, it is very large impact. So I can see how something like this is. Makes sense for where you are today, but my question is, would this renaming? I know it's such a subtle thing. Would it have also been a good idea, uh, say, if you had this in year two or year one?
0: Um, you know i I struggle to answer that because almost um, almost everything that you know that we change or that we implement is kind of a product of the times or product of our current uh, environment. So for example, Uh, one thing that is an active conversation at Webflow right now is it's so powerful, right. Um, That when you, when you onboard onto it, if you're a designer or like an entrepreneur or something, it's actually overwhelming, right. Uh, There's so much power that you're like, I don't know where to start. Like it's an empty canvas or whatever. So, so the, you know, the conversation we're having is like, should Webflow be easier to use right. And more intuitive. Uh, And the answer is obviously yes. Right. Like we have to, try that. But uh, historically, like if, if I was to say the same thing to, you know, two years into Webflow, uh, we probably made the right call in making like in, in kind of indexing more on the power side, because that's what made us successful rather than trying to make it like super easy in the beginning. Cause we probably would have ended up with like another Wix uh, or something like that. Um, so in, in that question, I think um, early on, we, we needed that uncomfortably fast uh, mentality more, uh, because we we were so indexed on this perfection uh, aspect. Now I think we need the intentionality more, because especially as a company scales, you have to consider so much more. Like as a bigger product, right? Before we we would be able to say, okay, this this feature is awesome, ship it, right? Or it's it, like it doesn't have this, you know, tiny bit of polish, ship it, right? Like we we need to move uncomfortably fast. Right now we we can't make the same determination and ship something that, for example, is a lot less accessible for, for people who uh, are now building our, um, building sites, not just for like a tiny set, set of small businesses. They're now building things that are going to be accessed by millions of people. So we have to be really intentional, even if that means uh, slowing down in some areas um, and thinking about a lot more implications than just, you know, is this a shiny new thing that adds more capability, we have to like really um, look deeper. So I think, you know, there are different times where that's, you know, more appropriate. There's another one of our core behaviors that I've been thinking about a lot uh, recently. Um, uh, it, like the way it's phrased is practice extraordinary kindness. Um, and on a smaller team um, that, that could, you could have like those individual conversations to put that into context where you kind of separate uh, niceness or politeness from kindness right sometimes it's like one of the kindest things that you can do is say like hey you have something stuck in your teeth or hey you um like the you are not performing to the um expectations of your role right uh like sometimes i could feel like oh shoot that's an attack or that's a um that's a you know just because you have something hard to say doesn't mean that it's not kind um but as we scale it's a lot harder to have that kind of um you know, individual conversation or an individual training where a lot of people might might uh, default to their kind of original understanding of kindness of like, oh, I if, if I don't have something nice to say, I'm just not going to say it at all, right? Um, so there's a, um, you know, as the team gets bigger, as like there are more and more layers between um, like the intent of something and the actual uh, impact of it, um, I think everything needs to be, kind of reconsidered as um, as a company scales and as the team just gets kind of larger and larger and you, you get more layers of uh, kind of translation or mistranslation or misinterpretation uh, between what you intend.
1: Yeah, no, that is um, a super valuable lesson there. So yeah, nothing is static, uh, ever evolving um vlad we're we're just coming up on time, so I just uh wanted to end uh, with something that we we always end on uh which is uh for managers and leaders out there looking to get better at their craft uh you know what is some advice that you would have for them? Maybe it's something that you tell uh people who become managers at webflow it's a book it's a resource it's a tip it's a mentality they should adopt uh what would you recommend to these folks?
0: For me, I'll just share my own personal thing that was the most transformative for me. Uh, It's not some framework or set of tips or uh, like here's a guideline for how to be a good manager. For me, the biggest realization that made me more confident um, in um, serving people better was just just feeling permission and feeling okay, living by my own values. Right before I had this, you know, th- like as a as a venture funded, you know, professional company, I had this uh, kind of mentality that if you if you don't behave a certain way, or if you uh, um, are not like this, uh, you know, picture perfect version of uh, what a professional manager or leader has to be. Um, then you're kind of failing right and then you know as a manager you should care about like business results first and foremost or as a ceo you care about shareholder value first and foremost as a you know as a somebody that has um uh is leading a technical team you should worry about uh kind of technical architecture first and foremost or whatever all these ideas i had in my head around like what um What like excellence looks like but but I still had like felt some guilt around like well I actually think this is the right thing like, you know, really sitting down and and hearing out um, You know a team member in like what they struggle with and what frustrates them and like it, it feels like I should be making more space for that But I feel bad that I you know, am I I'm distracting from like typical? Uh, sort of leader things um, that, you know, investors might expect. Uh, So really for me, the breakthrough was giving myself permission to, uh, to really be myself and advocate for what I think is the, is the right thing and make, make space for that. And like very, um, very openly defend that and not be, uh, not be like, sorry for that, not be apologetic for, um, for speaking uh, what I believe is, is the right thing to do. Um, and it really came down to, um, that, that perspective helped me, um, it's, it's what led to our core behaviors. It's what led to, uh, our second mission. Um, and it's what led to us taking a, um, a much longer term perspective, uh, and, and focus on people, uh, where we say, look, we're not actually solving for shareholder value. We're, uh, you know, upsetting, like slightly upsetting already rich people, uh, based on not hitting some number, right? Right. Is is uh, nowhere near as important as um, treating all all your team members uh, what humanely and um, as um, as a group of people that's that's on a mission that's that's wanting to do something important, Um, and then that extended to you know feeling confident that being a force of good in the world and like society and for the planet and and uh, things that you know might look like they're hurting the business. Uh, but are actually, they feel like the right things to be doing. Um, Like not feeling bad about that, not feeling shame that you're not like playing business enough or uh, following some playbook on, you know, whatever the management books you pick up that everybody recommends. Like what's the um, Andy Grove one?
1: High Um, output management.
0: Yeah, high output management. Like, oh, I'm not following that to a T. Therefore, I must be a bad manager, right? Like feeling that permission that like I actually, you know my personal convictions my personal values are just as valid if not more valid than um you know industry canon uh was what really helped me you know push for things that i feel uh are the right things and defend um uh and serve my team better i think uh or i hope that that's how they would um categorize it too so um and and that made me personally feel more fulfilled right to our second mission so uh I think that's what I would.
1: What you would know, say. I I couldn't agree more. That really uh, resonates with me. One of the uh, values uh, that we have is called "Write the Playbook," and everything that you just said, I feel like recording it and replaying it for everyone <laughs> at the company. And like this, this is why, <laughs> um, okay. Vlad. This has been uh, incredible. Uh, so much, so many good insights. Uh, thank you for doing this.
0: Of course, uh happy to be here and thank you for listening.
1: And that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Super Managers podcast. You can find the show notes and transcript at www.fellow.app/supermanagers. If you like the content, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can get notified when we post the next episode. And please, tell your friends and fellow managers about it. It'd be awesome if you could help us spread the word about the show. See you next time.